Please be seated. We'll be looking at Isaiah 56 today, the first eight verses. As we enter into this last section, 56 through 66 of Isaiah, for those of you who are, um, have not been here, we've been through Isaiah, we've been working in Isaiah through the last several falls, I don't know how many years it's been, and this fall will be our last fall in Isaiah. Last week we looked at the very end of this section, chapter 66, to get an idea of where Isaiah is going. Today we'll look at 56 and watch as he walks us to that end, walks us through the process by which God himself, in his response to the fact that we are persistent peace breakers, makes us his peacemakers. To that end, we'll be looking today at chapter 56, the first eight verses. Read with me. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God to us. This is the word of our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Indeed, this is the good word of our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This is the good news of Isaiah to us, his people, in this time and in this place. Let's go to him in prayer. And so, Father, we come to this time and this hour as your people who once were dead and have now been made alive by the power of your salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the revelation of that that we read here in Isaiah. The declaration of that great salvation through Jesus. And so now, God, we are um, painfully aware of how desperately we need your spirit to allow us to hear your gospel in this, your word. To that end, strengthen us. Grant us ears to hear and eyes to see. Protect us from error. Feast us upon your good news. We pray in Jesus. Amen. There's a leadership video that has been going, that goes around. It's been not so, um, not so current now, but it was around for a while. And it shows this guy walking into this field. It's some park somewhere. And people are out enjoying the day. And he enters this field and he begins to dance. A pretty simple dance. And then pretty soon people see and they begin to imitate him. And they begin to fall into the rhythm with him and fall into the pattern with him. The idea being... Now, sometimes in leadership, you just have to live out the pattern that you want people to follow. The pattern exists and the theme exists in all kinds of videos. Another one that is more well known is the video of the Hallelujah Chorus in Macy's. Have you seen that one? Everyone in the hustle and bustle of Christmas shopping and the famous New York City department store. And then first there's one instrument and then there's another instrument and then another and then one voice and then another and then another. Until eventually everyone has stopped and everyone has joined their voices in harmony singing the Hallelujah Chorus. They hear the pattern, they see the pattern, they join the pattern. Another example comes more recently in that uh, episode, not that I watch it. Remember, not everything you hear from the pulpit is necessarily an endorsement. Carpool karaoke, or as we say here in the States, karaoke. With Paul McCartney. Did you see that one? If you haven't seen it, it really is worth watching. Not that I'm endorsing it, but it is worth watching. And so they, they, they visit Paul McCartney's old haunts in Liverpool. This is the street I grew up in. That's the church I went to. That's the choir I started singing in. And they end the day at the pub where the Beatles got their start. Doing these little gigs on stage. And the pub is still open for business. And people are there having their lunch in this little pub. And somebody goes over and puts whatever it is you put in a jukebox in England. It's not a quarter, but whatever it is. It's not a penny either, I promise. And they put it in and they select the song, but the jukebox doesn't start playing. Rather, the curtain opens and lo and behold, there's Paul McCartney singing the song that they just chose. How great is that? I just wanted a sandwich and a beer. And now Paul McCartney is singing my song. 
And then the curtain closes. And so they all look around. And the next person gets up and puts another coin in and pushes another button. And the curtain opens up. And there he is again. And pretty soon, the whole place is singing all these old favorites. And people are gathering, and pretty soon it's wall-to-wall people all standing together and singing together. And pretty soon, the, the road outside the pub is packed. Because people are gathered to this pattern, and they join in the pattern, they participate in the pattern, they celebrate the pattern. The reason those videos are so powerful is because it's just a very human thing. We were designed to recognize and participate in patterns and rhythms. That's why there's a pattern of seven days, for example. You know that they have tried uh, to extend the work week and tr- have tried an experiment with an eight-day week and some with a ten-day week. <laughs> Our bodies are not designed for that. These represent something to us of how God has created his world and indeed how God acts in his world, indeed how God redeems his world. They are examples to us of who we are as objects of our God's mighty redemptive acts. Not only of who we are to be, but how we are to be in the world. To embody life-giving patterns and rhythms. Patterns and rhythms that grab people's attention and draw people's participation. Behaving in ways that garner the attention and draw the participation of the world into the dance and the songs of God's own great salvation that he has begun in times past and he continues today until that great day when it is perfect and complete. It's the way of God's peacemaking among God's people in God's world a world that is at war with him, as many of us this week were painfully reminded. It is the life of God's peacemaking people, which, in case you're not making the connection, is us in Jesus Christ. This is the great culminating end times vision of God's great worldwide shalom-making project that Isaiah is casting throughout this last closing section of his prophecy, the power of God's great salvation to create for himself throughout his world a worldwide people of peace from among sworn enemies. This people that, the, that God himself is gathering. Verse 8, the Lord who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. We are a 
gathered people, not just a gathered people, but a people gathered by the Lord himself, gathered by his love for his world. Such a people are a waiting people, a worldwide people, a welcoming and embracing people. The language of verse 1 of 56, keep justice. That's language of guarding and watching and waiting, of anticipation. It's it's a word that gathers up all that has been said in chapters 54 and 55 about the great salvation that the Lord will accomplish among his people. And there is this sense throughout those chapters of waiting for it, of watching for it, of looking for it, of living for it, of working for it. And that is gathered up here in this language of keep. It's a language of expectancy and watchfulness as well as practice and guarding. Such people are awaiting people, and we'll return to that in just a moment. But notice this. This is a worldwide people. Now, this is really hard for us in Chattanooga Valley to remember that we are a part of a worldwide body. Indeed, we are evidence of that fact. And it's so hard for us to remember that. And it's even harder for us to lay hold of the implications of that. But notice the text. In the verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say. And then in verse 6, we see that word again. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord. And then in verse 7, we see it again. I will bring to my holy mountain, excuse me, uh, at the very end, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. In verse 8, they are outcasts of Israel and others besides. The language there of foreigners, Isaiah has referred in other ways, people who dwell in darkness, he's called them. People who dwell at the coastlands, the very ends of the earth. Those who, in the, in the worldview of the day, were teetering literally on the edge of the earth. Far beyond civilization, far beyond the reach of God's grace and love in terms of the worldview that is in view here. But not only those who are far away and beyond the reach of God's grace, but those who are deemed worthless, who have nothing to offer. Notice that. Let not the verse three, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Let them no longer say I am excluded. Let him no longer say. I am not productive. It's interesting, it's important to understand that eunuch here 
is descriptive of a people who were explicitly excluded from the people of God, explicitly excluded from the presence of God. And here, God himself explicitly gathers them in his presence. Is this a God of a split personality? Does it just depend on the day we meet him? No. It's all a part of our understanding a biblical biblical pattern of holiness and profanity. There are some things that are holy. There are some things that are profane. There are things that are righteous. There are things that are unrighteous. And in the early part of Scripture, foreigners and eunuchs come to embody all that is unrighteous and all that is profane. And what the Lord is saying here is, I will act in such a powerful way that all that has been deemed profane is now being made holy and worthy to be in my presence. But not only so. Not only so, it's not as though they are simply um, gathered sort of as a, well, I said I would do it, so I guess I better do it. Kind of begrudging motivation on the Lord's part. But it is a delight on the Lord's part to welcome them. To embrace them. To no longer exclude them, but to wrap them in his arms and say, you are mine. Verse 3, let not the foreigner who once was separated no longer be separated. Let not the eunuch believe he has no value. Because, in fact, I will give in my house, within my walls, a monument, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them a legacy and an inheritance. Another example that is used throughout Isaiah is the image of the barren woman rejoicing. Especially in the day. But a barren woman and a eunuch had no hope of a future. No hope of a legacy. And in both cases, the Lord says, I will act in such a way that you have a home and you have a family and you have an inheritance and you have a legacy. I will undo and I will grant value where our culture says there is none. So such a people are awaiting people. It is a worldwide people. It is a welcomed people. This is the people of God's peace. But you'll notice that all of that is gathered up And it is embodied in the fact that this people is a Sabbath people. That is to say, a people of Sabbath blessing. That is a people who have been blessed by God in such a way 
that his world flourishes. Look, verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast. What is it? Who keeps the Sabbath. Verse 4. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath. Verse 6. You see, Sabbath is the recurring theme. Sabbath is the backbone on which hangs this notion of a people of peace. That is the pattern. That is the rhythm by which God's people are recognized in God's world. We are a people of the Sabbath. What is involved in this Sabbath keeping. Well, the Lord says in the opening of our passage, keep justice and do righteousness. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast. Because that's what it looks like to keep Sabbath. To keep justice and to do righteousness. You see, keeping Sabbath is the privilege and the joy of practicing together the patterns and the rhythms and the habits of God's own peacemaking righteousness. We must understand that keeping justice and doing righteousness and keeping the Sabbath is not the Bible's way of calling us to be nice. It's not the Bible's way of calling us to mind our own business, keep our nose clean and stay out of trouble. It's not the Bible's way of saying, do your work and everything will be fine. Keep your head down and don't be noticed. Quietly just go about your business, collect your paycheck, obey the rules, and be sure to go to church somewhere on Sunday. No, this notion of keeping justice and doing righteousness, keeping justice refers to the law. It's a self-conscious passion to have one's lifestyle harmonize with the patterns of God's law. This is why, as Reformation Protestants, we continue to read the summary of the law known as the Ten Commandments. This is why we read it today from the Heidelberg Catechism. Because the law is not a burden so much as a, as a description, a reflection of God's patterns for life in his world. And keeping Sabbath is at the center of it. A self-conscious passion to have one's lifestyle harmonized with the patterns of God's love as sketched for us in God's law is keeping justice. And doing righteousness here. These two things are often found together. Keep justice and do righteousness throughout the Old Testament and in varying ways throughout the New Testament. That doing righteousness is is doing, is keeping justice in ways that harmonize not just with the actions and the expectations, but with the passions and the priorities 
of God's own character as revealed through his mighty acts. God's own heart as revealed through his mighty acts. In our day and age, we like to say as a matter of convenience, either excusing ourselves or excusing others, well, after all, we can't tell what's in a person's heart. And that's true to an important degree and to, an, and to a degree that ought to keep us sober and humble. But the fact is that how we speak and how we act and how we react to people and circumstances around us reveal pretty clearly what's in our hearts. And I will confess to you and my family can assure you that what often comes out of my mouth and out of my behavior reveals that what is in my heart is not pretty. You see, we know the heart of God's own character in the same way by how he acts in his world toward those who declare themselves to be and show themselves to be his sworn enemies. How does he act towards such a people? By how he acts in his world towards those who declare them to be, themselves to be his sworn enemies and those he declares to be the objects of his great love. Several weeks ago, as an example of this, we looked at the whole golden calf episode and the revelation of God's glory, which is one of my favorite passages. Because the whole point of that whole golden calf episode is this is the kind of people that, the glory, that our glorious God delights to call his own. Wow! That's great news. By the way, gospel according to Exodus there, that is great news for someone like me because I'm crafting golden calves all the time. I'm constantly proving myself to be precisely the kind of person that such a God delights to declare his own. How great is that? That's good news. And the stunning fact is that in Scripture, those who, who declare themselves to be his sworn enemies and those who, who he declares to be the objects of his great love turn out to be, lo and behold, the same people. It's not us and them, it's us and us. I show myself to be his habitual enemy and he shows himself to be my habitual lover. It's mind-bending. It's soul-transforming. Unless we miss it, it's gospel. And it's there in Isaiah. Yes, Old Testament, 
pre-Jesus, pre-cross, but it's there by name in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, if we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, it's there. Keep justice and do righteousness. Why? For soon my salvation will come. Sabbath-keeping people show themselves to be the blessed ones by the salvation that is at hand. The blessing here is not a reward for doing good, but the Sabbath lifestyle is proof that God has done good. The Sabbath lifestyle is proof that His salvation has come. For soon, my salvation will come. That language of will come is a verb tense that can be translated, and some of your versions may actually have this, as for soon, for my salvation is at hand. So think about this. This is the same language that we encounter in the New Testament. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom has come. And so think for just a moment about kids who are waiting for their grandparents. You know the ones. They're standing out there, standing by the window. And they see the car crest the hill. They're here! And then the car arrives in front of the house and they say, they're here! And then the car pulls into the driveway and they say, they're here! And then finally they walk in the front door and they say, they're here! Has the child been lying? No. The child has been declaring an unfolding truth. That the long-awaited beloved has arrived. Is coming over the horizon and around the corner. And is entering into our world. That's the language here of verse 1. It's Isaiah saying, keep justice and do righteousness because he's here. He's coming. He's turning into the driveway. He's coming through the front door. This salvation that is referenced here is the revelation of God's righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and read the poetry like a Hebrew poetry. There's that parallel there where that next line amplifies what it is that he's talking about. The revelation of my righteousness, which is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. For soon my salvation will come, the revelation of my righteousness. You see, the salvation here is the mighty act of God's saving work, and it is what reveals His heart. It is a heart of forgiveness, a heart of humility, a heart that does not grasp to itself the glory of being God, but comes in the form of a servant, obedient even to death upon a cross. That is the glory of our God's love. That is the glory 
of our God's righteousness. That is the glory of our God's salvation. Lisa, I'm going to call you out. Verse 1, for soon my salvation will come. What's the word? Soon. What's the word for my salvation? Salvation is Yeshua. Yeshua. That's the word there. We're more familiar with the proper name that we often encounter. Joshua. Or the English version of the Greek version of it is what? Jesus. God's salvation, God's Yeshua, is the life-preserving, life-giving revelation of God's righteousness. If we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, the name of God's salvation appears in our text. In keeping Sabbath, keeping justice and doing righteousness is our celebration of his arrival and our participation in his reign. It's our celebration of and participation in that new life-preserving and life-giving righteousness that until his arrival had not existed. This salvation, this Yeshua, we know as Jesus, which is the salvation at hand wherever two or more are gathered in his name. Brothers and sisters, do you understand? How does Jesus make himself visible? How does the mighty act of God's salvation make itself known in 21st century Chattanooga Valley by the gathering together of two or more people in his name on the Sabbath. You see, brothers and sisters, our resistance to and our refusal to keep the Sabbath, for whatever reasons, theological or otherwise, we may present, is our quiet protest that the great salvation of the Lord, which is at hand, is to some degree or another insufficient, just like Ahaz and just like Hezekiah. That it's somehow inadequate for the life we are to live in this world today. It is a quiet protest that the kingdom of heaven is great and all for a lot of things, but it's not really up to the demands of life in modern North America. It's what our culture would have us believe, but it's not what Isaiah would have us believe, and it's certainly not what Jesus reveals. You see, brothers and sisters, the gift of Sabbath-keeping the gift of actually entering into the peacekeeping and peacemaking power of God's salvation, of God's kingdom reign by God's king upon the earth as it is in heaven today is precisely what our valley 
and what our world is groaning for. It's what you're groaning for. It's what our bodies are groaning for. It's what all creation is groaning for. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Today's lectionary reading, for those of you who happen to follow the Book of Common Prayer, is Psalms 66 and 67. And taken together, they make precisely the same point. I would encourage you to reflect on it and meditate upon it and discuss it today at lunch. Psalms 66 and 67. Verse 5 of 66 says, Come and see what God has done, His awesome deeds toward the children of man. It's an invitation to enter into the presence of God's people. And behold, this is the people that once were his sworn enemies and have now been brought near as his dearly beloved children. Come and see the mighty acts of God's great salvation. So that in verse, so that in Psalm 67, we are recognized as the fruit of God's blessing upon his people, by which his ways are made known to the nations and his blessing is spread abroad. Brothers and sisters, please understand, this is not Sabbatarian legalism. This is good news. This is gospel. This is grace. This is the blessing of God's great salvation. Keeping justice involves Brothers and sisters, reading God's word, this is what we read in the catechism, to know the patterns of thought and speech and behavior that conform to God's design and God's rhythm for life in his world. And doing righteousness involves our regular meditation upon and prayer to know the heart of God, that we may practice the habits of God. Habits such as forgiveness, forgiving one another, Serving one another. Loving one another. Because brothers and sisters, this is where we need to practice that. In this gathering of his believers. Because if we find it difficult or even impossible to love one another and to forgive one another, how are we going to love our neighbors and strangers and enemies? Because that's the real glory of God's love by which and for which we've been saved. Brothers and sisters, this is what our world hungers for. This is what all creation is groaning for. For God's Sabbath people to be God's Sabbath people. For God's Sabbath people to embrace and celebrate and participate in the peacemaking life of God's righteousness by the mighty acts of God's salvation, God's Yeshua in Jesus Christ. This is who we are. This is what it means that we bear the name of Jesus. We are God's Sabbath people. Created now in Jesus, the great mighty act of God's salvation to keep justice and to do righteousness.
Yes, the gospel has unavoidably social and political implications. May this valley know that its king has come. May we be like the little child at the window saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. That his will is done in this valley as it is in heaven because there is a community of his peacemakers here that bear his name, the name Jesus. So God...